Ephesians chapter 4. Start reading at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We worship you. What awesome songs we got to sing this morning to your glory. God, I I thank you for, for the fact that people are singing out of their hearts because they love you. And so because we love you, Christ, and because you have called us to yourself, we ask that you might show us more of yourself now through your word. As the Puritan said, that the Bible is the swaddling clothes of Christ. And as we unwrap the pages of Scripture this morning, we desire to find Jesus Christ. And so, Lord Christ, would you show us more of yourself, more of your beauty, more of your glory. Lord, take our eyes off of this world and everything that clamors for our attention, and let us lift our eyes up to you, Christ. I pray by your Spirit you'd help us do that. We pray that your Spirit might dwell in us this morning, so that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. So be with us now and show us more of yourself, Jesus. We're looking forward to what you have to say to us through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. Had a great uh, little time away last week. I was out in Nebraska visiting my relatives. We had a Rennie family reunion. Woe to food at the Rennie family reunion. Um, my wife and I uh, love babies. We, we've decided that we're really addicted to babies. And our favorite age is six to nine months, right in that maybe five to ten months, where they're not little newborns anymore screaming all night. And they're not toddlers yet. It's, it's that little phase in there is, is our favorite phase when they're so cute and everything's exciting. Uh, our daughter just turned nine months this Friday, so we, we don't want to see her grow up. Uh, we hate it. They keep growing up. We have babies and they grow up. So our strategy thus far has been to just have more babies, um, which I don't think can continue indefinitely. Uh, but so I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe some of you who have had children can give us some advice on that. Uh, we love that phase. We hate to see them grow up out of it. But then on the other hand, could you imagine what it would be like if a baby never grew up? Could you imagine if a seven-month-old hit seven months and then developmentally stayed seven months for the next 70 years? Forever needing to be changed, forever needing to be fed and hauled around and taken here and there, it would be a travesty. If that baby never got to experience the joys of being a little kid and the joys of being a teenager 
And then the joys of being an adult and, and thinking with an adult mind and enjoying life as an adult. If the baby never grew up, it would be a travesty. You know, I love new Christians. New Christians are awesome. New Christians have an energy and a vitality about them that just brings the whole church to life. We need to keep doing evangelism because we need new Christians in the church. Because new Christians bring a freshness to the body of Christ. Uh, you, you get around them and it's like they're glowing. You know, they're so excited. They open up the Bible and they read a verse that you've read 550 times. And a new Christian reads it and they're like, Look at this! This is amazing! It, yeah, I forgot how amazing that is. And, and new Christians are changing right before your eyes like a little baby. They change from week to week, and they're growing at such a tremendous pace. And they remind us about the vitality and excitement of the Christian life. But could you imagine if a new Christian never grew up? If a new Christian never matured? Wouldn't that be terrible? If a new Christian kept being taught and taught and taught, and, but then never reached a place where they could teach others? Could you imagine if a new Christian uh, always had that, that exciting new flame of faith, but that flame was never tested and tried till it became the unquenchable embers of a mature faith. Could you imagine if uh, that Christian was always being fed, always being served, but never turned around to serve others, was always in the church taking, 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 but never learned how to give back and serve? It would be a travesty. Because as much as we love new babies and new Christians and new churches, at some point it has to grow up and it has to mature. It's the nature of things. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. We need to mature. Some of you here may be new Christians. Maybe you became a Christian in the last year or two. And that's so awesome. We love it. And we want to be a place where people can find out about Jesus and become Christians. But now we want to say, keep going. Don't stop. You haven't reached it yet. Keep growing up in your faith. Now it's time to know the joys of Christian maturity. Some of us here may have been Christians for five years. 10 years, maybe conceivably 20 years. You've been a Christian a long time, but you're still like a baby. And you act worldly like a baby a lot of the time. And you know it. You say, yeah, I've been a Christian so long, but I feel like I haven't gone anywhere. And I want to say to you, it's time to grow up. Let's grow up in our faith. You can grow up. There is a way to mature in Christ. And that's what our text is all about this morning. It's about maturity in Christ how we leave behind the exciting yet infantile stage of coming to Christ and maturing in our faith so that we leave behind worldly ways. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, is where I want to focus us this morning. And as you know, we've been studying the gifts given to the body, right? Last Sunday, Seth preached on the different gifts given to the body and how they build up the body. Well, this is that theme continued a little more, focusing more on the idea of maturity. In verse 14, it says, Then, in other words, once all the gifts are operating and the body's being built up, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. I observe at least three things from this text. There's probably a lot more we could talk about, but three things I want to think about with you this morning from this text. First of all, the nature of immaturity. What does immaturity look like? What are we talking about? 
That's a metaphor, but what do we mean? And then secondly, how do we become mature? What's the process for growing? And then finally, what does maturity look like? So what, what does it look like to be an infant? Leave behind those things. And then finally, what does it look like where we're going? That's my three points, in case any of you are counting, uh, for this three-point sermon. Uh, immaturity, growth, and then maturity. So first of all, what is immaturity? We're talking about the need to grow up, but what does that mean? Well, where's our starting place? Look at verse 14. It says, Then you will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Uh, immaturity is marked by instability and vulnerability. Immature Christians uh, are, are vulnerable. Just like babies are vulnerable. Babies need to be fed and cared for, and they can't fend for themselves. So new Christians are vulnerable. They're vulnerable to forces outside of them. Well, what, what specifically are they vulnerable to? Well, look here. Tossed back and forth by the waves. So Paul's shifting metaphors here. He does that. He's going from the infancy metaphor. Now he's going over to a, a stormy sea. The perfect storm. Winds, waves, blowing around. Infants are blown back and forth by the waves. And blown here and there. Infants uh, are like a, a skiff on the ocean without a rudder. It just gets blown wherever the waves take it, wherever the currents take it. That's where it goes. It has no way of directing itself. And that's what an infancy has looked like, looks like. And then specifically, what are the waves? Well, it says here, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So specifically, immature Christians are vulnerable to all of the ideas and false teachings that there are in the world. All of the false values, all of the false moral systems, all kinds of false ideas hit new Christians. And immature Christians can't steer as well through those things. They, they, they're not sure how to discern their way through those things. Uh, cults. Cults prey on new Christians. Cults prey on people who are immature in their faith. I mean, they're right here in Hingham, folks. Go west to here. There's a Jehovah's Witness Kingdom Hall. Right here in Hingham. Go south of here. There's a Mormon church right here in Hingham. Go north of here. There's Unitarian churches. And if you were to walk into one of those churches, or even if they call themselves a church, you might hear the Bible. You might hear the name Jesus. And you may say, well, I, I think I've landed. But unless you're discerning and can really listen to what's being said, what Jesus are they talking about specifically? Is it the Christ of the Bible, or is it the Christ that's been twisted and warped in some way? And it takes discernment to see through those things. And I know some of us here have been in cults. People in our church have come out of those, and they say, wow, I wasn't grounded. Now I'm understanding God's word in a grounded sort of way. And, and so we have to be careful of those forces. I once uh, was in a lady's house. I was, uh, we were house shopping. It was about five years ago. I love house hunting. I love looking for a house because I got to snoop around people's houses. It was so fun. So if you ever invite me over to your house and I excuse myself to use the restroom or whatever. I'm not really going to the restroom. I'm snooping around your house because I like to snoop. Uh, and, and so, I, you know, I'm looking around these people's houses and, ooh, I like that. Whoa, ooh, look at that. And, and then uh, I, I go into this lady's kitchen, and there on the side of her fridge is a bulletin board. And so I'm looking at the bulletin board, and at the top are bulletins from the lady's church. I said, oh, this could be a Christian. She attends church. Look, there's a service times, blah, blah, blah. And then underneath it was a flyer for a class on spiritual healing. I was like, what's that? And I read a little bit more, and it was about using your energies 
to reach out with your energies and heal other people and sharing energies with them and using your aura to balance your aura and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know if it was Reiki or what, but it was something like that. It was some sort of new age spiritual healing thing. And there they were, boom, right next to each other. So on the one hand, you have Christianity, well, church anyway, let's just give the benefit of the doubt, Christianity, and then under, excuse me, underneath it, you have this new age stuff. And they're just together. And that's a mark of immaturity. The inability to discern that these two don't fit together. But immaturity says, well, it's all spiritual, right? I mean, what does it really matter? That's the immature mind. And so immature Christians fall prey to that. But, you know, it's not just religious teachings. It's not just the winds of false teachings in religions. I think it also includes just the teachings of our culture. Everywhere and all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our culture is preaching to us, whether we recognize it or not. It's always, always speaking to us. Every advertisement, every television show, every movie, you know, it's like The Matrix. (laughs) You knew I had to work in a Matrix reference. Uh, It's like The Matrix. It's all around us, but we don't see it. It's everywhere around us, but we're not cognizant of it. It's constantly speaking to us. Uh, Kids, you guys watch Nickelodeon sometimes on TV. And Nickelodeon's fun, Nick Jr., or whatever television shows you watch. But do you realize it's preaching to you also? That every commercial you watch is speaking something to you. You need this, the cool kids have that, you've got to buy that. That's a message about, it's a teaching about what life is about. And so as you're watching Nickelodeon, you have to be discerning. Or, or if you're watching uh, MTV and you're watching TRL or, or Dawson's Creek or whatever it is you watch. You know, I'm not saying don't watch those things. I'm saying, are you discerning? Do you recognize that as you're watching those shows, they're speaking to you about the meaning of life? They're speaking to you about the nature of relationships. They're trying to tell you what sex is supposed to be. They're trying to tell you what happiness is supposed to be. They're trying to tell you everything. And so you have to be discerning as you watch those things. And what I'm saying is that when I'm immature in my faith, I have a difficult time seeing my way through those things. And if the culture says, go this way, I just kind of get blown around and, and we go wherever the culture takes us. I think one of the main messages I hear from the culture, I don't know to check this with you, but as I put my ears up and listen to what the culture is saying, the, the most predominant message I hear is, it's all about me. That's the main message from all different sources. It's about me. Please myself. Satisfy myself. I must find self-actualization. I need to find myself. I need to express myself. I can't let you impose your values upon myself. I need to get in touch with myself and understand myself. I need some me time, and I need my AOL. You know, I need me, my, my, and life becomes a designer reality where I tailor it for me and my interests and my hobbies and my activities and me, me, me. There's the theme. Starts at a young age. Uh, Our daughter is in uh, public schools now, and the guidance counselor in her school, it's not called the guidance counselor, she's called the feelings teacher. And the, um, the, the feelings teacher comes to the classroom and the feelings teacher helps them understand their feelings. And, and one of the things that she, she told us, she, in, in the teacher orientation, she said, this is what we tell them. We tell them that more than anything else, you're supposed to love one person. You know who you're supposed to love most of all? Not your parents, not your friends. You're supposed to love yourself. And they teach them to go like this, give themselves a hug and say, I love myself. What does that have to do with education? I'm totally baffled. What? Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And if you will love God with your whole self, you don't have to worry about your self-esteem. Because God is going to fill you up with His life and you don't have to be searching inside to try to put yourself together. Forget it. Stop thinking about yourself. Focus on the Lord. And so we tell our daughter, you know, our daughter's discerning. She goes, oh, the feelings teacher came in. I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, (laughs) 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 Oh, she's funny. But, you know, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You know, well, should I hate myself? Well, of course not. You know, it takes discernment. I I mean, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to build up kids to seem so they don't feel like they're a loser or whatever and get pushed around. But, you know, so I understand what they're trying to do, but you need discernment to see through all that kind of stuff. We need maturity in Christ. And so that's what happens when we're immature. We're, we're just suckers for whatever, whether it's religious ideas or cultural values. You need this to be happy. Buy this. Dress this way. I mean, it's all teachings. Broadly defined, it's all teachings. And when I'm immature, my life is shaped by it. And so immature Christians are worldly because they take on the teachings, values, ideas of the world. <clears throat> well, that's what immaturity is. But how do we grow out of it? How do we move beyond maturity? We'll look at verse 15. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. It's truth. It's as we speak God's word to each other, as we speak the truth in, in love, that's how we grow up in our faith. Instead of errors in deceit and scheming, it's the truth in love. Now, when Paul says truth, he doesn't mean, like, tell the truth. Like, uh, you're supposed to tell the truth, I'm supposed to tell the truth. That's true, we are supposed to tell the truth, we're not supposed to lie. But when Paul says speak the truth in love, what he means is speak biblical truth in love. It's truth in the sense of doctrine. Speak sound doctrine. Speak the gospel. Speak God's word to each other in love. So that instead of the false ideas and theories of the world, I need to be adopting the worldview of God through his word. And it's as we come to God's word, we grow in the faith. More than anything else, the American church today needs one thing. The word of God. More than any other need, the American church needs the word of God preached from its pulpits, believed and lived out, that's key, not just understood, but lived out by its people. The American church today needs the Word of God in the home, parents teaching children, children understanding it, children able to interpret life from a biblical worldview and through a biblical framework of interpretation. We all have a view of interpretation of life. What does it come from? And we need ours to come from God's Word. And so more than anything else, we need the Word of God. South Shore Baptist, our greatest need is not a family life center, even though we really need a family life center. We really need one. (laughs) Our greatest need is not a third worship service, even though this fall we're going to try to do a third worship service because we're packed and we need room. But that's not our greatest need. Our greatest need isn't a janitor, even though we could really use a full-time janitor around here with the, the way this place is getting used. Our greatest need is the Word of God because it's by the Word of God that the church matures It's by means of, through speaking the truth in love, that we grow up. That's the means. Whether it's the American church or our church or the church down through the ages, we need the Word of God. Because God's Word is uh, kind of like the spigot through which water comes. 
And so through God's word, the life of Christ flows onto a parched church. Or to use the body imagery here, the, the word of God is like the esophagus. It carries food from the head and nourishment from the head down into the rest of the body so the whole body can grow. Uh, remember, God spoke his word. He said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, and it was. And the whole universe came into existence. And so the same thing, through God's word, spiritual reality comes into existence. Faith comes into existence. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's as God's word is spoken, studied, preached, read, thought about, that faith will come into existence in your hearts. Do you want more faith? Get your nose in God's word. And let faith by God's powerful word and spirit come into your life, come into existence. So we need more of the word in our lives. I think that's why uh, Paul says back here in 4.11, see that? Seth preached on this last week. But you remember he was talking about the different gifts given to the body. Verse 11. It says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So there's four categories here. There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers. Why did Paul name those four? And there's lots of gifts of the body. These aren't all the gifts given to the body of Christ. Why these four gifts? And I think what they all have in common is they all minister the word. The apostles minister the word. They spoke the word. It's scripture. The prophets spoke the word of God. Evangelists, pastor teachers, this one concept, pastor teacher. All of them speak the word. And so there's a sense in which there's a functional priority given to the teaching of the word in the body of Christ. I'm not saying those gifts are more important or better or they're the special ones because we all need all the gifts to function as the body of Christ. We need each other. But in a sense that uh, there's a functional priority. In other words, it's through the word, preached, taught, lived out, explained, that life comes into the body so that the whole body operates. That's the idea. So it's not that it's more important, but functionally speaking, it has a certain order to it. And so it's from those gifts of teaching the word that life comes into the body. So if you're a new Christian and you're trying to think about how to grow and you want to learn more about Jesus and you want to grow in your faith and you're struggling with the world and you want to leave it behind, you've got to stay in the Word. You need to be in a Bible study. You need to read God's Word on your own. Memorize the Bible. Let God's Word dwell in you richly. And as you do so, you're going to find yourself growing in the faith. But not just knowing it. Okay? I'm not arguing here for more Bible trivia. The point of this is not so that we can go on Jeopardy someday and say, you know, I'll take obscure Bible characters for a thousand. You know, that's not the point of Bible study so that we can brag about how much Bible we know. The point of it is to know Christ. It's to grow toward Christ. That's the point. So that it goes from my head, it affects my heart, and then I submit my life to God's Word. That's when the growth begins. Or even if you're a Christian who's been a Christian 20 years and yet you feel like you need to press on in your faith and you, you've still sensed the worldliness in you, you want to leave behind that stuff and you want to mature. And I want to say the same thing. Stay in the Word. Maybe you know the Word. You're like, ah, I've been to a ton of Bible studies. Yeah, you may know it, but are you living it? I want to submit my thoughts, my feelings, my past, my future, my money, my friends, my attitudes, everything to the Word of God and let God's Word interpret my life. And as I do so, I'm going to mature. So immaturity, what is it? 
It's a vulnerability to false teachings, whether those teachings are religious teachings or just cultural teachings. Uh, uh, immaturity is being thrown about by the waves, going wherever the culture pushes us. The way to mature is through the Word of God. So then what is maturity? Where do we go? What's the picture of where we're headed? Look again at our text. It says in verse 15, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What does it mean to be mature? It means Jesus Christ. It means knowing Christ, being like Christ. Or as it says, uh, look back at verse uh, 13. It says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, here it is, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's as I attain to the fullness of Christ that I am becoming a mature Christian. So to be a mature Christian means to know Jesus. To be a mature Christian is to love and worship Jesus above all. To be a mature Christian means that I trust Jesus for everything. To be a mature Christian means that I obey Jesus unconditionally. To be a mature Christian means that I proclaim Jesus, that uh, I, I talk about him with my lips and I, I live him out with my life. To be a mature Christian means that I emulate Jesus, that my life and my character reflects Christ. To be a mature Christian means that I serve Jesus, that I say, take my life, Lord, use it, and God will do it. If you pray that prayer, he'll take your life. He'll use you in ways that you can't believe. God can take any life and do anything with it He's God. And so submit your lives to Christ and find out what he can do with you. And it's as we make Christ our goal, as we make Christ everything, that we grow up in him. Uh, there's a, a cool prayer. At least I thought it was cool. I put it in your sermon notes. It goes out for a minute. It's on page three. For all of you Irish folk here, I'm 0% Irish. And I'm glad you still love me. All you Irish folk. Look on page 3 of the sermon notes. This is a prayer from St. Patrick of Ireland. Well, it's attributed to him. We're not totally sure if it's from him, but it's a great prayer. And it's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. It's what he would pray as he went back in to evangelize the pagans in Ireland. And so in order to protect himself, he would pray this prayer. Christ be with me. Christ in the front. Christ in the rear. Christ within me. Christ below me. Christ above me. Christ at my right hand. Christ at my left. Christ in the fort, Christ in the chariot seat, Christ in the helm. We'd say Christ behind the steering wheel, but we'd say Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks to me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. This idea that I want my whole life to be about knowing, loving, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do for a living, however old you are, whether you're married, single, that's all irrelevant. It's Christ as the center of our lives. <clears throat> or the Apostle Paul put it this way. Remember Philippians chapter 3? Paul said, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever I had going for me, pfft, it's loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He said, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ 
In other words, compared to gaining and knowing Christ, everything in my life is just worthless in comparison to the value of knowing Christ. That's a mature mindset. I want to know Christ, he says, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death so that I may somehow attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's the idea. It's, it's a, a turning my back on the world, not because the things in my life are evil necessarily, but because I want Christ. And I turn my back on this life, and I follow Christ, and I move toward Christ. That's maturity. Christ is my goal. Christ is how I get there. Christ is maturity. So to be mature in, in the faith is to know Jesus Christ in such a way that this world and everything it offers to me, I consider rubbish. I'm leaving it behind. I'm getting out of my boat and walking toward Christ. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, Baptist preacher from the 19th century, told a story. I'd like to read it to you. Spurgeon said, I was having a talk with a man who was young, rich, and in the enjoyment of every good thing this world could give him. And he maintained that religion was a melancholy thing. He said, I cannot stand you Christian people. Your religion does not make you cheerful or agreeable. You're always in trouble, moaning and groaning and complaining. Spurgeon said, well, come along with me, my friend, and we will visit one of your complaining Christians. So I took him to a wretched, fireless garret where beside the empty grate sat a poor old Christian woman, doubled up with rheumatism and groaning with pain. Oh, she said, it is so bad and it never gets any better. Well, my friend, I said to her, look at this young man. He is rich. He is healthy and strong. He has every pleasure that earth can give him. And he's without God in the world. Tell me now, would you change with him? And the woman looked up and said, change with him? If you have Christ, you have everything. And if you don't have Christ, you are broke. Totally broke. And so we are in that skiff, being blown about by the waves, going everywhere, trying everything. I bet you that if we combine the life experience of everyone in this room, between all of us here, we've tried just about everything, haven't we? We've tried the money thing, we've tried wealth and cars and clothes and houses and extra houses and boats. And Not that those things are evil, but we've tried them and they've come up short. We've tried drugs and alcohol. We've tried casual relationships and all kinds of dating and affairs and all that kind of stuff. We have tried entertainment, we've tried uh, food, we've tried special diets, we've tried other special diets, we've tried um, hypnotherapy and yoga and meditation, we've tried it all. And all it is is just blowing about in the waves. It doesn't have the answer. And then from our boat we see a figure walking across the water to us and we think, this can't be. No one can walk on water. But across the water walks a figure. And he comes with an earshot of the boat. And he lifts up his hands and we see the nail prints in his wrists. And we know that it's him. The same Christ who was crucified for sinners has been raised. And he stands there on the water as if it was made out of concrete. And he says, come to me and be saved. And we say, I don't know if I should do it. because I'm in this boat. I mean, look at this boat. I need this boat. Look at the boat you're in. 
It's sinking. It's taking on water every minute. It's going to drag you down to the bottom forever. Get out while you still have time. And come to Christ. And he stands there. He says, come. You say, I can't walk on water. He says, put your trust in me. Walk to me. Come to Christ and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That goes for Christians and non-Christians alike. We need to all come to Christ to grow in our faith and to be saved. Is there anyone here who would like to know Christ as their Savior? And you've never done so. Maybe you've heard about this Christianity thing, but you've never made that commitment. And you'd like to know Christ as your Savior. I want to ask you, if you'd like to, what I want you to do is just raise your hand. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Thank you. I'm not going to make you stand up and say anything. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone else who wants to know Christ as their Savior? I want to pray with you. All right, let's pray. You who raised your hand, I just want you to pray a simple prayer with me. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for sinners like me. And so I put my faith completely in the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. Lord Jesus, I'm getting out of the boat and I want to follow you. Help me to walk on the waves. Amen. And now a follow-up question for those of us who are Christians. Do you have one foot in the water and one foot in the boat? Let's go. Time to mature in the faith. It's time to press on in the faith. and Move on. Is there something that's holding you back? Are you fixated on something in this world? Leave it behind and run to Christ. Run to Christ and be saved. Let's pray again. And God, we just take a moment now to confess to you our worldliness and our immaturity. And God, you know every heart here. I'm not here to judge hearts. That's your job, God. I pray that you would speak into every heart, and if there's things in our lives that we're holding on to in a worldly way, if we're clinging to immature thoughts, immature behavior patterns, and we're not pressing on toward Christ, I pray, Lord, put your finger on whatever it is right now in each heart. And Lord, call us out of the boat. And God, I pray for my sister here who just received Christ. I pray that you'd fill her up with the Holy Spirit now, that you'd come upon her with power, and speak your love and your forgiveness to her soul. And now, God, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. It's so awesome. We love you. We pray this in the name of Christ.